Thank you so much, Deacon Wesley. Welcome, everybody, to our services. Welcome to Adam Road, who are tuning in. We start the year usually with two sermons, setting out the vision. And so I want to say that that interview, that testimony with Dr. Chris Coe about Nathaniel, his son, is not a promo for you to migrate to New Zealand. But to show you that faith in God is a long journey, and it leads us to what I'm going to speak about today. Last week we said, as we begin the year, it's not the changing of a number. As we begin the year, we've got to listen to the voice of God in, the, in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has come in the last days, as God has prophesied, to usher in true newness. So last days and first priorities. And so today, the choice before us is whether you listen to God's voice. If you do, in God's eyes, you'll be considered wise. If you don't, you'll be considered a fool. And so in and through the testimony, I think, of Dr. Chris Coe and his family, the choice to continue to trust in God, especially played out in their prayerfulness. And we'll speak more about that soon. So are you wise or foolish is the choice. I'm going to trace wisdom from the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the wisdom books besides Job, besides Psalms and Song of Songs. And so we're going to find that wisdom resides in the person of Jesus. And then what does it mean for us to be wise? If we read the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer in all likelihood, it could be King Solomon, or a band of wise men, they are going on our behalf to find out the meaning of life. And so they explore all sorts of things for the meaning of life. And here's the journey. Let's see, take a look at it. Yeah, go backwards. So they try wisdom, our human wisdom, to reason our way our life. So you think so hard. What is life about? You read the philosophers of the past. You find out those people who are thinking and you, get, you go and buy self-improvement books. But at the end of all that thinking, you find that there's no meaning. And then you flip to the other side. You switch to the unthinking way. Why think so hard about life? Let's just go and pleasure your way out of life. And though he satiated his senses, his senses with just pleasure after pleasure after pleasure, he found it was also meaningless. And then he tried work. He tried to achieve his way out of life, out of the meaninglessness of life. Are you trying that, Singaporeans? Which one have you tried up to this point? I'm only at point number three, you know? And you're going to find that it's going to be meaningless. And then he tried friendships. Let's friend my way out of life. And he found that friendships was valuable. But friendships also have their limit because friends are fickle in the end. Relationships are fragile in the end. You won't find your true identity and meaning simply by friendships. And then he tries religion, but the religion by, by the time when they tried it in Israel was a fake religion that turned up in the house of God, but their hearts was a million miles away. And then he tries money as a way out of this. And then he tries feasting his way out of this. When you pull it all together, he reaches the grand conclusion in chapter 12 that we just read, that all is meaningless. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. The preacher is, he's either called the preacher, the teacher, the chronicler, the researcher. He goes on our behalf to research life and he finds it a big blank. At this point, it's important to to unpack the meaning of meaningless or vanity, right? By meaningless or vanity, he doesn't mean it's empty of meaning. Zero meaning in this. 
So yesterday we were saying in the 5 p.m. service, Mona was, my wife was leading it, so I had to turn to Mona. It doesn't mean in our 36, 37 years of marriage, it's been meaningless. It's really meaningful. But because it's transitory, it's temporary, it's fleeting, no matter how much you love your spouse, the surest thing about marriage is one day you will lose your spouse. Is that true? So as a married person, you've got to get ready for widowhood. No matter how much you raise your children and love them, one day they will leave the, leave the nest and you become what you call an empty nester. And all you have to hang on to meaningful relationships, beautiful moments is your photographs. And sometimes you look at those photographs of a loved one who has passed away, a grandpa, a grandma, a spouse, a child, a sibling. All you can do is look at the photos and remember, no matter how much you try to hold on to them and hang on to the memories, you can't. Life, though, is full of meaning, is fleeting and temporary. That's what is the sting of this. And then life is also disconnected. What does this have to do with that? And so here you are busying yourself, here you are thinking so hard about life, but the one who doesn't think so hard about life, he gets on further than you. So who is better? You study so hard or you don't study so hard, and the fellow who didn't study so hard in school is now better than you. And you think to yourself, must be doing something illegal. That's why he got ahead. He was always slower than me in school. What does this have to do with that? So relatives are sharing, you know, relatives gone overseas and um, son was very good in sports and especially good in basketball. And she as the mother drove him to almost every game. And the father also tried to make it. And then as the child grew up and, um, yep, graduated, uh, could afford a game, one of those famous games, I do not know which, what it was, was it Chicago Bulls, or one of the top teams, and then bought a ticket for the father to attend the game with him. And the mother was saying, what happened to me? I was the one driving him from game A to game B to game everywhere. <laughs> what does this have to do with that? Life is not, the basketball game is not empty of meaning. You put so much training, so much giftedness in that. But um, what happened there? There is no connectedness in life. Those are the two main meanings of vanity, vanities. You can't pull it all together. And makes, that takes the wind out of your sail. So Ecclesiastes 12, he's gone to investigate life under the sun without God. And if you choose to live life without God, it's going to be a big empty thing. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs. He tells you of a greater wisdom, a wisdom that comes from God. When you live your life in humility under God, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. And so there are two types of different, two types of wisdom. Human wisdom, you live your life with the Bible close. You try to search out meaning humanly, horizontally, it will be meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanities. But you live with what we call a technical phrase, I will leave that with you and pursue this word, with epistemic humility. Humility of mind, of heart. That though I know some things, I will not know how everything connects together. So as you read Ecclesiastes, his singular search for meaning ends up with a divine partnership as he says here 
in chapter 12. He tears everything apart. He explores the thinking way. He explores the pleasurable way. He explores the working way. He explores friendships. He dives deeply into those things. He finds a zero. Then he puts it all together. You analyse thoroughly. You synthesise rightly. And wise people do that. Not easy for Chris Coe and his wife to have a child like Nathaniel. Not easy to put it all together. He himself is a trained scientist. And so he reads as a concerned father. Then he reads that maybe this could be helpful to his son. And whatever is helpful to your children, you drop everything, you go. He could sold up whatever he had and went. Because this thing called fresher air, this thing called walking in the pine forest may be helpful. It's putting area after area together. You analyse it thoroughly and then you synthesise it. And for them, it worked for him. Fools, on the other hand, do this. We know so little, we judge so comprehensively. Just imagine if Dr. Chris Crow and his wife just accepted and the message of the doctors here was, there is no hope for GDD children. Right? They are not going to make much improvement. He didn't take that as the final word. He continued to walk in faith and seek God with all his heart and prayed for holistic healing for his child. And I just want to take this a little bit more. When you and I know so little but judge so comprehensively, you will make premature conclusions that this child is hopeless and you reach mistaken conclusions. May I not just take that example? In marriages that are falling apart, right? So why do you fall apart? After a few years, after three to five years, the stats show, if you don't divorce within the three, first three to five years, you might divorce later as a global trend. You might divorce in your 60s and 70s. That's totally frightening, right? In the middle, people choose not to divorce, not as often or not as much. You know why? Because you're staying together for the children. That's the wrong reason to stay together. The wrong singular reason. You should stay together to glorify God. And sometimes marriages, or a lot of times marriages fall apart because after a while, I'm going to use my wife's name, Mona, I married you for three years. I know you. I know you. You're not going to change. She's going to say that to me. I'm, uh, Chris, I've known you. You know how long we've known each other? This is a well-known fact within the RPC. Right? We met each other in kindergarten. That's a long, long time, my friend. We went to primary school together. She told the teacher she wanted to sit beside me. No, actually. They always put us together, side by side. Right? We grew up all the way to secondary school. I've known this woman for a long time. We could have said many times along our marriage journey, I know you. You're never going to change. You're always like that. Two words you must always ban in relationships. Two words you must always ban in marriage and family. What two words? Always, never. You're always like that. You never change. You know so little. You judge so comprehensively. Do you know the spiritual struggles of this person? Do you know? Do you really know what's going inside their brain? Do you know their mental, emotional state? Do you know what they struggle through? Do you know what kind of background they came from? 
You know so little, you judge so comprehensively. That's why you and I are a nightmare to live with. With our little knowledge. So you know your parent a little, but you judge your parents so comprehensively. You know your spouse so little, you judge them so thoroughly. You know a sibling so little, you judge them as if you were the judge. Sometimes, us as pastors, you know us so little, but you judge us so comprehensively. We are not God. God is God. There is wisdom in waiting. He says, the words of the wise are like goats and like nails. Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond this. So as he goes out to investigate life with God's wisdom, he says God's wisdom have two sides to it. Firstly, it's like goads, G-O-A-D-S. Just in case I pronounce this not well, and it sounds like goats. Can you G-O-A-T-S. Can you tell the difference? Right? There should be a difference. And a goat is a stick that is used to prod the sheep to walk in a certain direction. Right? So you have the goat. And if the sheep is walking in a direction or walking towards danger, you prod it and it will turn back, look at you and go in the right direction. You want it to safely go. So a goat, right? one side of wisdom, it prods you from the temporal to the permanent. It prods you from the disconnected to the connected. Because it's moving you out of meaninglessness when you try your own wisdom to meaningfulness when you sit humbly under God's wisdom. It moves you from half-truths to whole truths. And if you are, if you use the goat, right, you want to chuchu the neighbour next to you, I give you the permission, you goat them, try that. You have the permission? Oh, nobody's trying, uh, you're a bit careful. If you are your spouse, you can goat each other, a father, a mother. Yeah, it's the ouch word. It's the outward, ouch word. Ouch! You said that to me, ouch, you did that to me. God is always stopping you from being wise in your own eyes. God is always stopping you from being a fool in his eyes. And so in the past year, last year, what was the wise ouch word from God? Stop that pawn. It's not going to satisfy you. Stop that anger is not going to change anything in your family. Stop that discontentment. Stop that unforgiveness. Stop that judgmentalism. Stop that wasting of your time. That is an ouch word. When God does that to you, He prods you. You don't say, you don't say, you don't do the Tai Chi with God. You don't do the rebellion. He gives you the ouch word to stop you falling off the cliff of sin by being wise in your own eyes. I can do a little bit more, a little bit more, and I'll stop. One more week of this, one more year of this, and I'll stop. You'll never stop ungodliness by yourself. Never. Then wisdom has another side to it. It's like nails. Nails. Stickability. Solid. So when you read God's word, the wisest words, as he's collated here, you both have the ouch word that will correct you. You also have the solid word that will assure you. So they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited. 
Chris and his family, Chris Kuo and his family. And prayer is what took them through. Did you hear that phrase? It made him draw close to God and hold on to God. Though God seemed so silent and so far away, and sometimes just God just spoke to him, read this journal, all of a sudden things happen. God's word has both the ouch factor and this is the solid word of God. You may, get, may not get an immediate answer. You usually will not get an immediate answer because faith in God is not instant gratification. Faith in God is usually delayed gratification for the glory of God. When He teaches you, trust Him, trust Him, trust Him, trust Him, trust His heart. And notice He says in that verse, they are given by one shepherd. Chapter 12 begins with, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. By chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, he says he's now not just a Creator, he's now your Shepherd. What's the difference between Creator and Shepherd? There's a very huge difference. Creator, you may think, yes, I roughly believe he's, I don't believe in evolution, I believe that he created the vastest galaxies, I believe he created the smallest cell in my body, I believe that but I don't live by that. And so we've been saying this, I've been saying this to you. When he says in one passage in ending the book of Ecclesiastes, remember your creator in the days of your youth, never too early, never too early to believe in God. So when we go out and do Boys Brigade and Girls Brigade, never too early. Never too early to tell students here studying at Kochuan, never too early to believe in God. Don't put God on hold until your life falls apart. Never too early. So you got to believe in God's mega story. Yes, I believe He's in charge of the history, Alpha and Omega. You also have to believe that God is in charge of your story and pray for divine appointments. Did you hear again and again from Dr. Chris Cole? All of a sudden, Eli appeared and started to teach his son music. But because he was so weak in his muscles, all that learning, uh, he couldn't play. So went for theory. Then all of a sudden, George appears in his life. Two total strangers that appeared from nowhere. They appeared from nowhere because they were sent by God. Do you believe in that? To believe in a big story of salvation is only one part. Wise people believe in God being in charge of history and believe in God being in charge of my story. That there is no detail in your life in which God is not interested and not able to intervene and out of love turn the details of your life into his purposes. So I've been praying and lining up for family conferences that we hope once a year. Our theme is strengthening faith, strengthening family. And so we're lining up for March 1st to 2nd. And then something for the elderly, something for the young in that conference, something for the singles, something for the marrieds. And I had in mind this particular speaker. I uh, sent him a message, but he didn't reply to me, a local speaker. Then I was doing a wedding last week at Princep Street. And just before the wedding, I was get, getting things ready and popped in to pray for the bride and the, the couple before it started. As I opened the door, there was the speaker I wanted to invite, Dr. Robert Solomon, right, to come and speak on the elderly, which is something that is at his heart. And I went back and told Mona, well, that was my answer to prayer today. 
God in charge of the details of my life. Do you ever pray for personal divine appointments? PDA, not the gadget, you know. Every day pray for personal divine appointments. Your life is not random. Your life is not circumstantial. Your life is fitting in with God's grand purpose of saving you for His service and His glory. If you live your life by chance, it will Satan will mess it up with just chances. And you'll never know what's happening. You live your life with epistemic humility and slowly but surely, you see how God puts the pieces together. And then he goes on, the writer, in chapter 12. My son, beware of anything beyond this. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is the weariness of the flesh. This is the number one memory verse of all students. Whenever they face exam, they will tell their father and mother, have you read Ecclesiastes 12? Don't pressurize me. And the making of many books is a weariness of the flesh. Beware the making of many books. Are you looking for answers? That's why he's saying in the totality of chapter 12, uh, of all 12 chapters, you're looking for ways, you're looking for answers, you won't find them. What on earth should you be looking for? Last year, what did you look for? Did you find what you're looking for last year? The last decade, what have you been looking for? For your whole life, what have you been looking for? Have you found it? So, December was a break. And so we went for a short break to see our grandchildren and went to uh, Tasmania. Have you been to Tasmania? It's a lovely place. And we were staying at a friend's place and at the afternoon. At this friend's place, um, they had a glass portion to allow the sun to come in and it's wonderful in winter or when it gets colder. I was sitting there, our granddaughter was there, I don't know who else was there, but I just noticed my granddaughter, sorry. And then we heard a loud sound, bang, against the glass. I stood up and tried to be a man, right, to protect anything, a burglar, couldn't see anything. I looked high and looked, looked high, then through the glass I saw, I saw a bird, right, upside down. And obviously it had a crash into the glass. Right? It was a beautiful bird, right? And um, I don't know, and I could recognize it, having studied in Australia for quite a while. It's a rosella, very colorful. Like, and, and obviously, it bumped into that and became unconscious. So what do you think I did? I grabbed my granddaughter and we went out to look at this, and we saw it unconscious. It was on its back, and then slowly it turned, slowly it turned. And then I managed to reach out because if it does that and it's there, before long, ants are going to get to it and bite it to death. Or a bigger predator like a cat might get to it. And so I went there to try and do something, my good Samaritan for the day. And uh, this is what it was. This is a true picture, not a, from Facebook one, uh, or from Wikipedia one. Right? So that was after it had concussed and stood up. And you know, the Australians say of this Rosella and the Gala, they are so beautiful in their cheekiness, the Australians. They're so beautiful yet so dumb. I do not know. It's our problem because we mess up their habitat. It keeps bumping into things. And number one kill rate is with cars. Right? So I tried to hold it gently, brought it into the house, and then, yeah, tried to restore it. Can you see the wonderment on my granddaughter's face? At that moment, the grandfather became hero. <laughs> And then I, we sat together, we prayed over the bird, 
and she gently stroked and kept saying, gently, gently, gently. And before long, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes, it, re it seemed to recover. So we brought it out there and I left it on the ground just to watch it whether it was okay. And before long, it flew off. What do you call that? Saviour. <laughs> Saviour of birds. <laughs> I don't know what the lesson is, but I thought it's so good, must pull out a lesson. Rosella lessons, right? It's truly lost, right? Truly lost, accidentally found, gently revived. As it flew off, right, we felt a sense of, I've done something good. I've done something good. You know what? You're truly lost. You're not accidentally found. You're intentionally found and saved by God through His Son which in a moment you will see that in Jesus is the truly wise one. And we are not gently revived. We are redeemed for eternity. Sometimes in life we fly like these beautiful rosellas and galas. And we know not where we are going. But we fly with, as it were, with a determination and a vengeance. Then bang! Then we do not know what happens after that. Is that you, the last year? Is that you now? So beautiful and so intelligent are you, but so lost. There I say, how silly, how dumb to live your life in autonomy of God. But the assurance is God is on the lookout for you. And he ends with this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. And God will bring every deed into judgment with every sacred thing, whether good or evil. And so what do you say? Fear God. We've said this many times. In the Old Testament to the New, to fear God is to love God. To love God is to fear God. There are two sides of the one relationship with God. If Israel is called to love God, fear God. But this, this fear is a different fear. Most of the fears we have in life are unfounded fears, and a lot of the unfounded fears are actually paralyzing fears. And perhaps the most foolish of fears is when you and me go and buy tickets to watch a horror movie, and then after that, scared, scared, scared. Why do you do that? Life is already fearful enough to go and pay money to watch a horror movie. And may make a side point more and more that becomes a substantial point in obedience application. What on earth is this whole celebration of Halloween? Please stop that as Christians. It has nothing to do with our faith. It has nothing to do with good fun. And sometimes now I walk around in, in Singapore and some houses, right, around my area, they are hanging a skeleton there. I'm walking with the dog late at night. You think, I got enough fears in the day, you know? Let them frighten me at night. And to have parties for our children celebrating Halloween? All those fears paralyzes us, numbs us, human fears. The fear of God, the good God, our creator, our shepherd, liberates us. And the scriptures will say in Deuteronomy, you fear God, you can walk in his ways. You fear God, you can listen to him. You fear God, you can do good. It's not a paralyzing fear. You can walk, you can do. It's an activating fear. You fear God. And so... If God is our judge, then everything matters, not nothing matters. Everything is meaningful, not 
everything is meaningless. So the book that started with meaningless, meaningless, ends with everything is meaningful. You know why? Because God is judge. Everything will be brought to light and everything he will ask you for an accounting. Kevin, give you an accounting of this. Roger, give an accounting of your life. Daniel, give an accounting of life. Tracy, give an accounting. Juliet, give an accounting of life. You're so scared I might name you. Chris, give an accounting of your life. Chris Cole, I mean. I gave you this child. What did you do with this child? Did you continue to love me? Fear me? Trust me? Last week, we featured Chia Chia, struggling with anorexia. Her way of controlling in a mad world. That's what you and I seek. Some sort of control for all the madness that you cannot control. To face the harshness of life. It took her eight years. Long journeys of faith. Long journeys of perseverance. And long lessons of overcoming. It seems so meaningless to give me a child like this. To derail my life. They have to up everything and go to New Zealand which is slightly boring. No, friends, you wait upon God. There are two ways out of meaninglessness. Right? And the two ways out of meaninglessness is whether you are looking for God or you realize that God is tenderly looking for you. And He's tenderly, patiently looking for you to love you. Right? And to make you love Him and fear Him. So God in Ecclesiastes is presented as creator, as shepherd and judge in chapter 12. And as creator, He's wise enough to create you beautifully. There are no mistakes, even with a special needs child. Amen? I do not hear an amen here. Is there an amen there in Adam Road? Is there an amen there as you tune into this virtually and you could be going through very tough circumstances of your life? with a child, with a parent, with a sibling, just with friends out there. Yet loving enough to shepherd us so tenderly that there are no wasted moments and details of your life. People just don't just turn up. They turn up because of God's providence. They turn up because God designed them to turn up in your life. And then you know enough of God that He will judge you rightly. And if you're living a righteous life, you may not get vindication this side of heaven, but you will get vindication on the other side of heaven where all things are made right. You come to the New Testament and you hear Jesus says this. Right? You've got to sort out. You've got to sort out Jesus and what it means. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. But the house did not fall because it had been founded on rock. Actually, as I flesh these verses up, you could be thinking, I know these verses, I know these verses. I learned it from Sunday school. I learned it through you, Father. We sang this song, Build Your House Upon the Rock. Here is Jesus ending perhaps the most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Whether it was one sermon at one time or a collection of his sayings throughout time. Chapter 5, 6, 7. And as he ended this, they said, we have never heard teaching like this because he taught with authority. So Jesus carried on saying, 7.26 in Matthew, and everyone hears these words of mine and does not do them. It's not about the listening to God's word, 
is about the obeying and the doing of God's word. It's like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. If you do not do God's word, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so what does it mean? If you go to the Middle East, it's always hot and dry. right? And when it's hot and dry, sand, which is very porous and shaky, becomes hardened. It's, it looks as rock solid. And in the heat and the dryness, you could mistake that that, that is solid. Then in your laziness, do not build, drill deeper, right? go deeper to find solid rock. You build your house upon that sand, which looks like rock. When the rain falls and falls endlessly, that hardened sand loosens and it crashes. When you chose not to be slightly more diligent to find an actual rock or stable ground, to build your house. Jesus says to his own people, Israel, you have been foolish for a long time. You have not listened to the word of God. And how do you know that in context in Matthew chapter 5? Because in Matthew 5 to 7, because this is chapter 7, in chapter 5, right? You are angry with each other. If you've got anger in your heart when you go to the temple, don't stand there as a closet angry person and worship God with anger in your heart. Leave your gift behind and go and restore with your brother, then come back. Israel had gotten used to anger in her heart. And then you got lust. Sure, you haven't committed adultery, but you got lust with your eye and you got lust with the heart. Every single one of this is the breaking of God's wise words to them in the Ten Commandments. Israel had learned to be wise in their own eyes, superficial in their hearing, nominal in the obedience. You want me to do church? I'll do church. But please, tell, please don't tell me to do Christ. Do Christ means in this moment of sin, there's an ouch. Jesus did crush my life. And do you love him? Or do you hate him for stopping you in your tracks of anger, of lack of love, of self-righteousness, of love for money, of worrying yourself to sickness? So are you looking for answers, Israel? Or are you looking for forgiveness? Because you have broken all the laws of God. And you still think that you can come to me in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do things for you? Did we not do mighty things for you? And he will say to you, away from me, evildoers. I never knew you. And then he ends with, are you wise or foolish? in your eyes. So, we started with the question, in God's eyes, will you be wise or foolish? All that we preach and teach here, from last week's sermon to today, that captures the gospel in different ways, last things must be your first priorities. You have to choose to be wise or fool, and maybe for this whole year, moment by moment, and this moment as you think this thought, don't be a fool. Be wise. At this moment, you're about to say something. Don't be a fool. Be wise. You know, my parents left me a few things. With 12 children, they always taught us, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Wash your plate. Clean your room. There are 15 of us living in the same house. You know, when I'm tempted to be tardy, lazy, 
Somebody will wash that. Somebody will clean this. The words of my parents under God. We're not Christians, but it's just common wisdom. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy has kept my life on track. Is that why your house is a shambles? Have I gone to your house? Have you invited me? You should. Is that why you buy the robot? Whenever you are tempted to one moment of just lying horizontal, don't be lazy. Wakes me up. Don't take corners. You can't cut corners and succeed. You can do that with exams. You can never do that with the test of life. You can't cut corners in a marriage. You can't say, I give you quality time, I don't give you quantity time, we'll still be okay. You cut time from your marriage, it will come to consume you. You can't cut time from your children and say, I can catch up. You can't. Don't be lazy. Don't be tardy. Don't be a fool. That keeps me going. At this moment, am I a fool? And sometimes I get in the shower, sometimes I get in the morning, sometimes I get in the night. Don't be a fool. Get up and do this. Don't be a fool. Read the Bible. Don't be a fool. Pray. Don't be a fool. Don't take this into your hands. Don't be a fool. Can you keep that for the rest of your life? Don't be a fool at this moment, Richard. Don't be a fool at this moment, Molly. Be wise. I just want to end with that challenge for you. So for us in ARPC and beyond, if you're tuning in virtually and joining us virtually, right? Obey Jesus to greats. And so everybody has a handbook. Can you flip this up? And one can show that every year has produced a handbook. It's not a repetition of things. And this year, it looks slightly different. So we turn to the inside page. What's important for us? We are Bible-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-like church for 21st century Singapore. Two big things. Please love each other. By this shall all men know. And so on page one, you see that? We are blessing people with God's good news as God's one church. And this year is a new chapter for us. ARPC at Adam, Bishan and Tenga. So the short form from this point onwards is we are A-B-T. We tried to find C, but God didn't give us Changi, so cannot. So we got Tenga. So we end up with the acronym of A-B-T. Or we thought the other way, T-B-A. To be announced. No, maybe not, whatever it is. Okay. Then the page is more important on page two. We are out here day by day obeying and fulfilling Jesus' two greats. The great commission and the great commandment. You see that? That's a picture of our building. And the big thing you may have noticed if you're interested in architecture, where's the bell? Where's the bell? The bell is gone. The original design had the bell. But because the bell was slightly controversial, some like it, some don't like it. We as leaders said, don't fight over the bell. La. Okay, just leave it. La. Just always preach the gospel. Okay, on page three, one church in three blossoming, Christ-like, Bible-centered, intergen places to gospel Singapore. Intergen. We started with two children here. Just look up here. Intergen is a big word I want to leave with you of how God has blessed us through the years. We started with almost no children, two children. We didn't need a children's church. Two kids. We started with almost zero youth apart from the Boys Brigade and Girls Brigade joining us, which was the core of the church. We had very little children from Christians in our Christian homes. And if you came with your children in the 1990s, our youth fellowship was struggling at 15, 20 people. It's taken us about 30 years from 1991 since I've been here. At least that's all I know, the history. 
to be this church that there's now a thousand children, 450 youth, right? 2,000 adults. We call that a very well-rounded intergen church. You put your ear to the ground, you visit other places around the world and even in Singapore. Anglicans, Methodists, Lutherans, Baptists, mainline churches, you are either going to find this is skewed on one side where 50-60% of, of, the, of the congregation are in their 50s or 60s. And there are fewer and fewer children in children's church. So much so our Sunday schools across the board are shrinking. Our kindergartens are closing at rapid rate or have closed already. And our youth are missing between 18 to about 35, 40 years old. All I'm saying to you is that God has exceedingly gracious to us. Amen? Can we give thanks to God? Really give thanks to God. You can clap. They're clapping here at Bishan. It's not that we deserve this. It's God has made us so. And we want to replicate this in all three centres at A and B and T. In the first three months, we just want to envision you, envision with last things, first priorities. The two great commissions, be wise, don't be a fool. Keep your nut time with God. See the change that God can bring, like in Chacha's life and Dr. Chris Coe's life, Nathaniel's life. And then we go forward. So, wisdom for our hearts. Surrender your small ambitions. Wisdom for our homes. Commit everyone to God. No one should be put in the too hard to do basket. If Crisco and his wife put Nathaniel in too hard for God to do, no hope basket, where on earth do you think he would be today? Then we come to our services, pray the night before. Don't just come for yourself to feed on the Word of God if you're feeding on the Word of God. Come looking for someone to meet, to minister to. Come prepared. Sounds like a Scout's motto, right? Come prepared. Be prepared. You are coming to Saturday service, pray about it on Friday night. Lord, give me one person, one family to meet that before the service, after the service, as I hear God's word, as I hear your word, may I just sit with them, talk to them about the sermon and then pray together to grow in faith. There's not much I can do, but I can do the most important thing, I can pray. Why don't you come to every service that way? Not simply to receive like a consumer, but to serve as a servant of God. We do not invite you to become a consumer of good messages if they are good and faithful, but to be a good servant of God. That's so important. And intergen, break the barriers, break the barriers. Always reach out to people from a different background. Every week that you come, beginning from this year, can you not just go into your holy huddle? All the boys' brigade gather around the boys' brigade. All the basic folk gather around the basic folk. All the old folks gather around the old folks. All the bus people, prisons people gather around prison. What do you call that? Holy huddles. We are supposed to break into each other's life and offer them the love of Christ. Pray to say to, hello to someone new. We ended with Romans. Give each other a holy kiss. And then for our DGs, you come broken, you leave whole. In all those ways, there must be changes in our lives. Amen? One person has said amen. Okay. I was preaching in Belgrave, in Melbourne. And you know that Christianity in the West is shrinking, it's dying. It's on the ropes. We're being punched like the bad boy. right? The bad boy who has done many bad things to Western societies. 
That is Satan's work to badmouth Christ by badmouthing the church so that more and more people will hate Christians and the church collectively. But at the convention site that I went to, Belgrade, the leaders, the council, could see hope and they committed themselves to rebuilding a new wing. And they rebuilt that new wing. And I was so excited to see the new wing, just to prove that I was there. And this new wing, right, that dining room can sit 200 over people. The rooms are like hotel rooms in a church that is under fire. They are daring enough. They had to raise $6 million, uh, $10 million. They've only raised six and taken some and taken some help. But I was so encouraged that they were doing that. Unafraid. And they can see through their prayers thousands of youth coming for the camp, coming for camps there, and being struck by the gospel and giving their lives to Jesus. We as Christians never curl up and die. We will stand up for Jesus. Amen. We do not curl up and die. And by God's grace, Though property is expensive here in Singapore, we have not had, but for the two premises that we have at Adam Vishan, we don't own them. We are just stewards of them. And as we go on, I realize that somewhere along the line, we may be kicked out of our premises. The laws of the land may change. Relationships may change. As a responsible leader and together with our leaders, we have to find a place. This is the place God has given to us. Amen? And it's not the hardware. It's the software for two weeks and for every week. Every preacher and pastor will plead with you. I'm just envisioning you, last days, first priorities. Keep that first, Jesus first. Don't be a fool, be wise. Don't be a fool. And we choose to be wise. Did you listen to Chris Cole? We just prayed, and we just prayed, and we just prayed. And prayer to God kept our family together. And so they went from being gifted with a floppy child who looked like hopelessness to a faithful family with a child who has done university first class honours at 13 years old. Not everybody will end up a child progeny but from floppy child and floppy start to faithful finish to the glory of God is what we can promise you. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't know so little and judge so comprehensively. Trust the present and the future to God. And we will be a shining light in ARPC. Amen? A, B, T. With each one of us not being a fool, but being wise. Let's stand and pray together. Spend a few moments responding to God. Humbly, sincerely. Almighty God, you are our creator, wise enough to create us beautifully. Almighty God, you are our shepherd, tender enough to guide us through every danger of life, through every uncertainty of life. Almighty God, you are also judge that will finally deliver us from all the injustices that we might face in this world, especially as your people. But we confess that left to ourselves, we try to be wise and seek out the meaning of life, but it all results in meaninglessness, temporary 
disconnected, empty and void, a dead end. Save us from being wise in our own eyes and fools in your eyes. Teach us to turn our eyes to Jesus, the truly wise one, and teach us and empower us by your Spirit to listen to Jesus about whether we build our house on sand or on the rock. And we pray that as we are challenged here at AFPC, anywhere as Christians, we will make the choice to be wise. And we pray, Father, that this wisdom is not simply for us to be blessed or secure in this world. This wisdom is for us to be your children and to be your servants, testifying to your goodness. So we thank you for all that you have taught us today, all that you have shared us from Jaja's testimony last week to Dr. Crisco and Nathaniel and his family's testimony. And we pray that this will not just be the testimony of someone out there, but this will be a testimony of you working in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.